Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to Ask Andrew. I am happy to say that I get to answer another question, and this one is going to be a weird one. Okay, we get a lot of weird questions, but this, this is, this is, wait till you hear this question. You're going to go, well, I guess I don't have to listen to this podcast, but maybe you'll want to anyway. Here's the question. Why do we need a cosmology other than the one given by current science? Ooh, why do we need a cosmology? other than the one given by current science. That's from Timothy. Timothy, thank you for asking that question. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to try to answer this question. And the, in, a, in one way, it's a really, really easy question to answer. The, the, the answer, however, is extraordinarily glib from the easy angle. On the other hand, it's an incredibly interesting question. And I'm going to try to make it... Um, accessible and I'm going to try to answer this in a really superficial way which is the only way I'm capable of answering a question and then um, I want to see what happens because this is such an interesting question but you're going to be surprised maybe how many things it relates to so here we go The question, why do we need a cosmology other than the one given by current science? Well, first of all, let's look at this word cosmology. What do we mean by cosmology? Cosmology comes from two Greek words, cosmos and logos. Logos, when it's put at the end of a a, a word like in biology, cosmology, etc., typically means the study of or more technically means... um, an area of thought that is ordered by the principle of. So bios, logos, is an area of thought organized by or ordered to the principle of life. Bios is life. In cosmology, it's a dimension of thought ordered by the principle of cosmos. And the question then becomes, what's a cosmos? Well, to the Greek, cosmos was something really important. Um, The cosmos... To the Greek, well, the word originally seems to have meant something like an ornament, a work of art, and it and it has it implies the notion of beauty, it implies the notion of order and harmony, and so a cosmology to the Greeks when they used the term cosmology, what they had in mind was all of being understood according to its principles of harmony. It's a rational system. It has a, a structure to it that from top to bottom that, that all integrates. And so they had concepts like the macrocosmos and the microcosmos. The macrocosmos was the whole universe, everything physical. 
the microcosmos was man. Because everything that is true of the whole universe is contained in man. And so man is a microcosm, a microcosmos. Everything that you need to know about the universe, some Greeks thought, could be known by studying man. That might be one of the meanings of the phrase, the chief study of man is man, which is more, I think that was Alexander Pope, or, or we could say man is the measure of all things. Well, what, what could that mean? Uh, it might mean relativism. It might mean that whatever I think is true and whatever I feel is correct. Or, or it might mean that everything is known by studying mankind because mankind is a microcosm of the macrocosmos. In any case, one, one way you might think about it in the Greek mind, a micro, or the cosmos and all its elements, could, you could think of it as like the Russian dolls. You know how those, the, the dolls are hollow and you put one inside the, the next and they're bigger and bigger and bigger or smaller and smaller and smaller, depending on which way you're going. They're all identical, but one's inside the other. This is something the Greek mind could, could, would be very comfortable with, it seems to me. So in the ancient cosmology, in the Greek classical cosmology, the idea was that everything fits together, everything is beautiful, everything has a harmony to it. In modern cosmology, something has changed. And if I can oversimplify and state it, what, baldly? Modern cosmology doesn't believe that everything is interrelated, doesn't believe that everything makes sense, and doesn't believe that everything has a meaning, doesn't certainly believe that man has a exalted, privileged place, or even a lowly place, but that man is just an accident that happens to be here. And in fact, everything is just an accident that happens to be here. What happened? How did we get from one, one cosmology to the next? Now, again, simple answer for a complex question. Here's the simple answer. Rene Descartes. What? Some of you are saying you're blaming him again. Listen, I love to read Rene Descartes. Easy French accessible. I can't read French, but the translations are easy and accessible. He didn't write in Latin and he didn't write it in complexly, at least not at first. He wrote nice stuff in prose that could be followed. But maybe that's a clue. Why did he write prose instead of poetry? Hmm. Hold on to that question because it actually matters. But there's some, there's a, there's a move that René Descartes made that is enormously significant. And let me just be clear that it didn't pop out of the blue. There, was, there were things that led to it, and René Descartes is not a single cause of all the evil in the world, but he made a mistake, I believe. He, made it, he, he did a transition in thinking that has dominated Western thought, even among those who don't agree with him, even with those who would, would consider Descartes fundamentally misled. They tend to agree with him on this basic point. And here's what it boils down to. I'll put it in question form. If you're an ancient Greek or a medievalist, a person of the Middle Ages, I should say, and you're studying the cosmos, what tools do you use? What art do you use to study the universe? And if you're a modern, what tools do you use to study the universe? Now, probably, 
I guess the way to ask that question would be, if you're a scientist, what, what are your tools? And to oversimplify, the modern scientist has two basic tools, experimentation and math. But it's even more specific than math, actually. It might surprise you to hear this, but for the most part, modern science is geometry. Hold on, many of you are saying it's algebra and calculus. Uh-huh. It might surprise you to hear this, but algebra is geometry. Now I really have to explain myself, don't I? Well, I have to, to, I have to answer that other question first. Prior to Rene Descartes, what did they use as the main tool to know the world they lived in? Now, the study of the world, of nature, is called phusis, physics. The Greek word phusis means nature. Or we, we speak of the physical world, but it's, it's nature. And what the Greeks used to study nature more than anything else, well, I'm going to have to say it and run then, was grammar. They studied the world using the art of grammar. And some math, of course. But when René Descartes decided he wanted to know the world. He said he resolved to begin with doubt. And then he stripped away every possible explanation until you remember the famous line he would say, he could say, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Now, I don't have time to go into how he got to that, but an important point about the, the thought process he engages in is that he is being, in his mode of thinking, he is being Euclidean in the sense that, like a geometrician, he is reducing thought to undeniable axioms, principles, um, self-evident truths, and he's questioning all of them. And then he gets down to what he thinks is not questionable. I cannot question whether I exist. Why? Because I think. A thinking being has to exist. Okay. From that, he then thinks geometrically. He uses the, the mode of thinking that he learned from Euclidean geometry to do philosophy. Now, that becomes a relatively common, relatively speaking, among philosophers' habit. Uh, Benedict Spinoza, for example, develops an entire complicated philosophical system by using Euclidean geometry as the model of all thought. The only kind of proof that would be acceptable would be Euclidean geometry. Now, the other thing that Rene Descartes does is he, he, he takes Euclidean geometry and, he, and then, then he takes this symbolism that has been developed and discovered largely developed by Indians and Arabs, and I think Byzantines. And finally, in the 15th and 16th century, maybe 14th, this symbolism, which had been developed by a, an Arab named something along the lines of Ali Jabra, um, he's brought it into the West, and it's called algebra, which is a, 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 a realm of shortcuts. Okay, but what did, what did, what did Rene Descartes call the math that he developed, the system of math. He didn't call it algebra so far as I know. I mean, he may, have, he may have used that term, but the main thing that he called it was analytical geometry. Algebra 
is taking geometry and reducing very, very complex problems to simple symbols. That's why you talk about quadratic equations. Quadratic comes from the word for square. You spend a lot of time in geometry squaring things, completing the square, is one of, I mean, in algebra. Algebra is geometry, but I say this sometimes to algebra teachers and they don't know that. It's an important point because what's happened is René Descartes has, has exalted one of the seven arts, geometry, above all the others and has said that's the only means we have to know reality. The mode of thinking that that cultivates, the pattern of thinking, and the truths that that reveals are the only ones that are acceptable. For whatever reason, he chooses not to doubt that. He thinks that's rational. And in so doing, he sets aside the other avenues of knowledge about the cosmos. That becomes the end of the ancient cosmology. That becomes, you might say, the formal end. The, the kind of Western decision to reject the ancient cosmology. Because as I said before, the ancient cosmology, you got to know the world primarily through the art of grammar. And now you're saying, what the heck? Well, that was vulgar of you. Just kidding. You have to understand that grammar also meant something different from what we think of these days. And at the very, let me again, very concisely say without all the backstory, when they spoke of grammar until, let's say, the 17th, 18th century, they included what we include, which is mainly syntax. In other words, how do subjects and predicates relate to each other? What are the parts of speech? How do they all fit together? All of that is fine. All those rules. But they actually meant a great deal more than that. And, and, and the essential meaning of what grammar was to the ancients was this, the interpretation of signs. And so etymologies, the history of words, was an enormously important element of grammar. What does a word mean and why and how has it varied its meanings over time? Also, allegories or analogies was, was a hugely important element of grammar because, because to the ancients, to the medieval people, listen, the world, ready, meant something. It was a text. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, we read that nowadays, and we have a very subjectivist response to it. We say, oh, yeah, when I go out, side and look at the heavens at night, I feel the awe. I feel the glory of God. And I'm not saying that's not contained in the meaning of the passage, but I don't think it exhausts the meaning of the passage. The heavens declare the glory of God. They say something about it. And until René Descartes, and, and after Descartes, a, a, a great drive of thought was to look at the stars and ask, what do they mean? Now, the folly of this drifted into things like astrology, predicting futures and so on, shortcuts to meaning. But the solution to, to, to superstition is not cynicism. Because now we, we look out the, in the cosmos and we say, it doesn't mean anything. Or if we say, yeah, it means something, we don't have any idea how to read it. 
But that's exactly what they were trying to do in the ancient cosmology. That's why they spoke of a cosmology. We don't. We don't have a cosmos logos. We have a world view, right? We have ways of seeing the world. And we are basically, you know, the, the consistent concept of a worldview is that you have one and you're not conscious of it. It's just how you see the world. In a strict sense, therefore, I argue there is no such thing as a Christian worldview. There's a Christian cosmology. Well, the question, though, was why do we need a cosmology other than the one given by current science? Following on René Descartes and using the techniques that Descartes developed, and then through Newton and Leibniz developing calculus, which is also a geometrical study in an extremely refined way, what we've concluded is that we live in a universe without any meaning. The tools that we have, or let me, let me perhaps put it this way, the way science approaches the universe is to get power. It's out there, it's objective, and what we're trying to do is figure out what happens if I do this to that, okay? And that's knowledge. Modern knowledge is pragmatic. The modern theory of knowledge, especially developed by people like Dewey, is pragmatic. Something is true. You know something if you know how to adapt to it, if you can use it, if you can apply it. That's what knowledge is to a thinker like John Dewey. It's not the perception of, the, of reality by the soul. It's not the perception of intelligible essence. Why, why do we conclude that in the modern world? Because that's what our tools enable us to conclude. Because we have reduced knowledge of the world to calculation. And to some extent, experience, experimentation, but then we reduce that to math through statistics, which is another thing Descartes enabled. I am not saying those things are bad. I'm saying they're inadequate. Because they cannot lead us, they do not ever give you reason to believe that the universe has meaning. Why not? Because they're not looking for meaning. How are you going to find, well, you could find meaning without looking for it, but not if you don't have eyes to see it. And so what we've done is we've taken the other six liberal arts and we've said we're going to set those aside, more or less, but especially the trivium. And we've developed a whole view of reality based on inadequate tools or tools that can never find meaning. But the, but the Christian cosmology, and, and let me say it this way, the cosmology that the human soul needs to be mentally healthy is a cosmology that says, I live in a meaningful world and I need therefore to interpret it. It means something. When water runs down a hill a certain way, it means something when birds sing. It means, some, and it's not only meanings that we impose. The universe is filled with meaning. And grammar is the ability to interpret signs. And I don't mean mystical signs. I mean signs like letters on paper, words, sounds. This is, this is, what, this is what a classical Christian cosmology would be teaching. Therefore, we need... We need a cosmology other than the one given by current science. The way I'll put it is this, in summary. The cosmology given by current science tells us that the cosmos doesn't exist, that we live instead in a world of which we have views, and there is no meaning there. You have to impose a meaning on it. That doesn't 
work. Pragmatically speaking, that doesn't work. The universe is meaningful, and we have to study it as though it is meaningful, as though we have responsibility for it. And we need to rethink this. Well, I'm out of time. So I'm going to stop with a very short answer to my second question, which is kind of a funny one. Why classical education after Ptolemy? Oh, forget it. I can't answer that question. All right, I'll do it. Ptolemy took the Aristotelian concepts of science and made some mistakes. Uh, Three in particular. Aristotle argued that the sphere is the perfect shape, so all the planets would be moving in spheres. He argued that the universe itself is eternal. And he argued that there is an ether outside and beyond the moon where all things are perfect. Well, those three things were dismissed by modern science because they're all wrong. Those pagan doctrines of the ether beyond the moon, of the eternity of the universe, and of the sphere being a perfect shape were proven to be wrong when it came to the study of, the, of astronomy, of the cosmos. Well, that doesn't mean that everything that Ptolemy, um, that everything that was in the ancient cosmology is wrong. It just means that those mistakes were crucial to Ptolemy. There's stuff that precedes Ptolemy. There's stuff that's in the Pythagorean teachings that are so important. And and most of all, I'm going to say this. Pythagoras taught, and nobody knows where he got this idea, but Pythagoras taught that there is an ultimate harmony in which everything sings together. And that's why he could talk of chords and music, and he would look into space to try to find patterns in space that corresponded to the music we listened to. He has been proven right in many, many ways. And so what we need to do now is go back to the Pythagorean ideas that were true, and figure them out again, separate them from the Ptolemaic ideas that were, were false, the pagan ideas, and we need to build up a new Christian classical cosmology. And I think that's the great task of the classical renewal for the next, I don't know, 40, 50, 100 years. If we can figure out cosmology, if we can figure out the relationship between space and earth, if we can figure out um, the relationship between the human soul and the world we live in, better, if we can come up with a better model than the ones we have now, we will have done a favor for the world that's inconceivably great. Right now, we live in a chaotic and broken down world that is in the process of breaking down further because the minds in it don't have hope of a harmony. That's what cosmology provides, is the hope of an ultimate harmony. We can't go back to Dante. We can't go back to Ptolemy. But we can certainly go back to the creation. And that's what we need to do. And for whatever reason, whether it was Jewish influence, Hebrew influence, or, or just clear thought, Pythagoras discovered some astounding truths and we need to capture and, and, and redevelop them. And that's why the quadrivium is so very important. So with that, I'm going to end just by finishing my argument that we should do a classical education, even though Ptolemy was wrong because classical education predates Ptolemy. And we should 
And we need a cosmology other than the one the modern scientist gives us because the modern scientific cosmology is arguing and claiming and resting on the idea that the universe is meaningless. But we know by faith, we've been told that it has meaning. And so we need to learn how to interpret it. Thank you, Timothy, for your question. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. 